Hello, and welcome to What Goes Bump in the Night. Hello and welcome to What Goes Bump of the Night. This is your host, Trevor Jensen. And with me as always is... Riley Clark. This is episode 123? Yes, sir. Jesus, God. 123. We did it, though. We made it 1, 2, 3. 1, 2, and 3. How many years has it been? Four years. Wow! We hit 1, 2, 3 in four years. That's pretty good. I like those numbers. And speaking of numbers, how many numbers do you think this uh, this killer that we're going to talk about today has dropped? I honestly know nothing about him. I'm going to say 12. I think that's a high number of murders. It's higher than what the actual number is, but it's alleged that there's more. So it's alleged that the killer we're going to talk about today is Edmund Kemper, by the way. The co-ed killer. Big Ed. The butcher. But um, it's 10. He's, he's, set, he's confirmed to have killed 10 people. That's I feel that's like still that's a lot. Still a lot of that's murders. a lot. Yeah, like he was the co-ed killer because he was killing college students out in oh what was it Los Angeles area California somewhere I think it was somewhere in California. His mom was also a teacher I believe, and it was just, he was just in in the area for what he wanted to do. So let's let's talk about my man Ed Kemper. He's a terrible fucking guy by the way. Absolute like fucking monster. He's a fucking monster. So the thing is, he he's, still he's alive, super by the way. fucking smart. Is the thing he has a more above like you know like above an average intelligence than what most people would. He's not the most unattractive, but he does look like a fucking bumblefuck. Like a, he's he's also six foot nine. Yeah. So he's an enigma already. Let me run him down for you real quick, Kemper. Edmund Camille Kemper III, December 18, 1948, age 74, Burbank, California, USA. He's known as the co-ed killer, co-ed butcher, org of Apatos, the mad titan, big Ed. Big, gumpy, dumpy Stands Ed. at 6 foot 9 inches. Huge. Big man. His motive, possession, and necrophilia. Oh, that's fucked up. First degree murder of murder, murder. Eight accounts is what it says here. Criminal charges none. 1964 arrest. Murders deemed incomprehensible for a 15 year old to commit. First degree murder times eight. 1973 arrest. So there is a murder that he probably did, but they're like he didn't Can't do it because he's it. 15. Yeah, but he probably did do it. Most likely. That was just his first one. It was sloppy. Ten victims confirmed. So he probably attacked a few without killing them. The span of nine years, 64 to 73. Mm-hmm. Date apprehended in 1964 was his first arrest. And April 24th, 1973 with his second arrest. He is currently imprisoned at the California Medical Facility. I think he's all fucked up now. I think he was fucked up since birth, buddy. Yeah. Sounds kind of like it. Why don't we just get into it? You don't that. sound like he was he's like just a normal, little fucked up. Like, person. Like, he's got some chemical stuff going on up there that ain't normal. Bro, that's a big man. And he's a big scary. That's a real life boogeyman right there. It is real. I don't even know what he did yet. And he's. Here we terrified. go. He gets fucked up. Edmund Emil Kemper III is an American serial killer who murdered a total of 10 people, including a 15-year-old girl, as well as his own mother and her Killed best his friend. his own mom? Yep. Uh, from May 1972 to April 1973, following his parole for murdering his parental grandparents. This motherfucker killed his whole family? He was a family annihilator before he was a murderer. Add that to his list of nicknames. Family Kemper was nicknamed the co-ed killer, 
as most of his victims were female college students hitchhiking in the vicinity of the Santa Cruz County, California. He stands at a height of 6'9". Most of his murders included, included necrophilia, <laughs> with some incidents of rape. Trigger warning, this is... There is a lot of things. I should We should have said that up top. There's a trigger warning. If you don't like hearing about rape or, like, fucked up shit, I don't know why you would listen to the story of Edmund Kemper, but, yeah, here we go. We're just going to leave that there. Uh, born in Burbank, California, Kemper had a troubled upbringing. His parents divorced in early life. As a child, he moved to Montana with his mother, Clarinelle, who kept Kemper locked in their basement, which had been frequented by rats. He ran away to reunite with his father, but he had remained or remarried around Christmas of 1963 and sent Edmund to stay with his parental grandparents in Norfolk, California. It was there in August 1964, at the age of 15, that he murdered them. Following the murder, so this is the murder they can't tie him to. No, this is the murder they are tying him to as a 15-year-old, but they can't process him as an adult, so he wasn't tried as an adult. Because he was 15. Uh, Following the murders, Kemper was briefly diagnosed with a paranoid schizophrenia, which I think is a big reason why he got around it instead of being completely fucked. Uh, By court psychiatrists and sentenced to the Escadero State Hospital as a criminally insane juvenile. It's starting off real bad for him. Real bad. 15 years old. It doesn't say how he killed his grandparents, but I'm almost positive he killed one of them with a hammer. If you want to look that up while I keep reading, that's fine. There's no details of his murders? Uh, There are, but in this article that I'm reading, it's more like synapses of, like, just overview. But if you want to look it up, I'm pretty sure he killed his grandparents with a hammer. Or at least his grandpa or grandma. Maybe a knife. I don't remember which one it was. But either way, it's fucked up. He shot them. He shot them. Even more fucked up. That's still just as fucked up as, like, hammer or straight up stabbing somebody. Because I know eventually he was, like, strangling. Yeah, he shot him with a twenty-two caliber pistol. That's crazy. Single shot in the head. So he must have snuck up behind one of them, popped him. Close range, combat, bop. Another one Wait, down. Wait, that was Cindy Shaw. I'm sorry. You were the wrong one. That's fine. That's There's ten victims to play with here. This article does is titled, I just want to see what it felt like to shoot my grandma. <laughs> so I'm guessing, I'm guessing he did shoot a lot of people. Yeah, he probably shot his grandparents. Dude, what the fuck? I just wanted to see what it felt like to shoot my grandma. That's fucked up. Says here, his grandfather bought him a 22 and taught him how to shoot it. Kemper spent hours in the bushes shooting at birds, gophers, and other small animals to annoy his grandmother who didn't want him killing animals. He disposed of their manes carefully. Edmund Sr. eventually took away his rifle at the behest of Mady, who didn't see the point of killing things just for the sake of killing them. This punishment infuriated Kemper as the weapon served as an outlet for his growing aggression. Confined at home, Kemper's anger started to simmer, and he began to transfer his hatred for his demoring mother to his demoring grandmother. Oh, my God. Kemper laughed as he recalled an incident with his grandmother when she left him alone one day, but took his grandfather's forty-five automatic with her in her purse because she was afraid he might play around in the house. Oh, shit. Yeah? That sounds about right. That's fucked up, dude. Uh, on August 27, 1964, Kemper's grandfather was running errands at the grocery store in the post office. His grandmother was working on a short story for Boys Life magazine, Fire in the Cannon, in the kitchen. Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table with her. They started to argue after he s- stared at her with the horrifying expression she had observed before. Enraged, oh Kemper God. stormed off and retrieved the confiscated rifle that his grandfather had given him for hunting he decided to go rabbit hunting went outside to fetch his dog Anka on the porch his grandmother uttered her last words you'd better not be shooting the birds again he stopped and looked through the window screen he had fantasized about killing her for 
before. She was facing away from him. He raised his rifle and aimed it at the back of her head and shot through the screen. Mady slumped forward on the table where she had been typing. He shot her twice in the head and once in the back. He then wrapped her head in a towel and drug her body to the bedroom, went to get a knife and stabbed her three times so hard the knife bent double. He didn't think she was dead and didn't want her to suffer any longer. Grandfather soon returned home and Kemper went outside to greet him. Edmund Sr. nodded, smiled, and waved to his grandson as he had begun unfolding food and supplies from the truck. Kemper returned the greeting and snuck up closer to his grandfather. He then turned and placed the rifle about 30 inches from the back of his head and shot him. Kemper later explained that he didn't want his grandfather to see what he had done to his wife of 50 years and that he would have been angry with Kemper of what he had done. He drug his grandfather's body to the garage and washed the blood from his hands and with the garden hose. He also tried to clean the blood near the truck. Back inside the house, Kemper had a passing through about undressing his dead grandmother and exploring her body sexually to satisfy his carnal curiosity, but he had shook it from his mind as being too perverted. <laughs> this is a 15-year-old boy, by the way. That's so fucked up. It's the most fucked up thing I think I ever read. And it gets worse. That's the that's the worst this part is, about that's this. That's just the start of his. That's the first. Yeah, mind. that's the first fucking real piece of bullshit like where that happens. His brain just clicked different for once. That's where true monsters lie. If he didn't already kill his mother, because apparently that happened. I too, I don't know when he uh, I don't allegedly know if that kills his mom. After. I forgot what part that is, but there's ten different killings here, so I mean, it's it's pretty fucked up. So, he was released at the age of 21, convincing psychiatrist he was rehabilitated. The 6'9 Kemper was reportedly regarded as non-threatening by his future victims. His future victims even said, he's not that threatening. He's fucking massive! I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to sound like you know, like big guys are scary. Yeah, but like if I see somebody that is larger than I am, I immediately am like that double tapped his grandmother and grandfather. <laughs> you don't know, but like you don't know what the other person has done so far. But like I look at that person and I'm like, if they are on that side of the spectrum of like super cool, not super cool, and like oh fuck, I gotta worry. I'm always leaning towards the like what ifs. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, hear me out. I can take somebody a little bit bigger than I am, but if you're 6'9 and as big as Edmund Kemper was, you probably wouldn't have to do a whole lot to, like, sling somebody around pretty easily. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going to have the physical the ad advantages, advantages on yeah. a lot of people. Uh-huh. So, like, to, to say women especially like i don't understand this mantra where it's like he just came across as non-threatening well how many times had you met him before that did you meet him one time and he came off as non-threatening like i don't at this at this day and age i don't believe that i meet any stranger and i'm just like you have every good intention here i'm just like what do they what do they really want you know like is am, am i gonna be in trouble here if i really let it happen yeah, I mean, you constantly have to have those thoughts, I think. It's good to be wary of people. You I think know skepticism what, is good to a point. What some people's actual motives are, especially if they're new. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if they're new... And you can't judge a book one look. You can't, Like, yeah, we're not saying you should judge someone off of first appearance or first impression or anything. But no. Like, sometimes... True colors come out after. Right. Like, it takes time for you to unravel the onion. We're just saying there's serial killers out there, so be safe. You never know if you've ever run into somebody who snapped and, you know, you just didn't get the information back to you that they did. Or you walked by somebody who actually had killed somebody in their day. Like, I don't know. It's very it's very likely that it has happened. Right. I mean, this, like, kind of story is kind of, you know, morbid. Like, we're talking about somebody that, who did unspeakable acts to another human being. And, you know, mm -hmm. the, his size, like, just makes him that much more intimidating because you know that these people probably didn't have much of a fight to put up against him. Mm, probably not, especially if and you're a younger female in college. Like, you 
probably are very vulnerable compared to most people. And, like, the compassion that he does show during the killing is, oh, I didn't want him to see what I'd done to his wife. Like, it wasn't that, you know, I feel bad that I had to do it because I just killed my grandmother. Because No, it was for his own good because he didn't want to get scorned for killing her. Right. Like, that's fucked up. <laughs> so, let's see, where was I? Um, he targeted young female hitchhikers during his killing spree, luring them into his vehicle and driving them to secluded areas where he would murder them before taking their corpses back to his home to be dis- decapitated, <clears throat> dismembered, and violated. Kemper then murdered his mother and one of her friends before turning himself into the authorities. So his mother was most likely the last one. Hmm. Found sane and guilty in his trial in 1973, Kemper requested the death penalty for his crimes. Capital punishment was suspended in California at the time, and he instead received eight current life sentences. Since then, he has been incarcerated in the California medical facility in Vasilva. Vasil? Vasililva? I have pretty interesting details on uh, one of his murders here. Take it away, son. All right. So he killed a lady named Cindy Shaw. So the, like, headline on this is Buried Head in Garden. Buried Head in Garden, yeah. Yep. And then it says warning graphic content. So, I mean. Let's hear it. I might be reading some pretty graphic things now. Trigger warning. So trigger warning. Cindy Shaw was killed by a single sh- shot in the head from Ed Kemper's 22 caliber pistol. I'd mentioned this earlier. He had kept her body in a cupboard overnight, waiting for his mother to go to work. As soon as she left, he brought out the corpse and decapitated it. Oof. His years of hanging out in the jury room left him with wary respects of forensic ballistics. So he cut off the bullet fragments out of the skull, which he then kept for a while as a trophy. He then dismembered the body and took a drive along the coast to dispose it. But when a couple of weeks later, Kepner learned that police had already recovered Cindy's remains, he panicked and buried her head in his back garden. Representatives from the Santa Cruz Sheriff's Office, City Police, and District Attorney's Office looked as a detective drug a 16-inch deep hole and found the decaying head. Because authorities pinpointed the head's location, it was Speculated, they were acting on information from Pueblo, Colorado, where Kempler, Kemper was arrested and has reportedly been given detailed information on not only the slaying of his mother, Clarnell Stanberg, 52, and her friend Sarah Taylor Hollett, 59, but also the slaying of six young women. So at this time, he had already been pinned down for a bunch of other murders. Mm-hmm. The head found today had been buried out about four feet from the rear of Kempler's house. For the last several months, Kempler and his mother lived in the duplex apartment. While the skull was being removed from the hole, the upstairs neighbor glanced down at the yard through the window. People living next door to the duplex were visibly shaken as they occasionally look over to where the detectives located the head. To think we've been living here so peacefully with that laying on the ground, said one woman pointing to Kempler's backyard. A young woman next to her wearing a Cabrillo college t-shirt nodded slightly. Kempler said he buried Cynthia Shaw's head in the backyard of his mother's apartment's house facing the window of the bedroom where he was staying and talked to talked to the head many times saying a fashion oh god. Like would say you would talk to your girlfriend or wife. That's fucked up. Yep. That's what I mean, dude. It gets more and more fucked up. Kempler has also said that he buried Shaw's head in his mother's yard facing up towards his mother's bedroom window because his mother always wanted people to look up to her. Jesus Christ. Dude, he's fucking wild. Like, that's delusional as fuck. Do you want me to read all of this? Yeah. Early in September 1972, Edmund Kemper urges start up again the effect of his previous victim's photos 
having faded, he gets back into hunt mode. On September 14th, he's driving along University Avenue in Berkeley when he sees this eastern girl hitchhiking near a bus stop. Akio Ku is just 15 years old, and she is heading to a dance class in San Francisco. She seems older than her 15 years and is anxiously waiting for the bus that is not coming. She's afraid of being late for her class, for her dancing is something very serious, a vocation. Her Lithuanian mother, who lives modestly, deprives herself in order to pay for lessons for her daughter, who has already performed professionally, both in classical ballet and in traditional Korean styles. Aiko never knew her Korean father who abandoned them before she was born. Her mother works at the University of California Library. Akio is not used to hitchhiking, and she doesn't hesitate for a second to board for the, the Ford Galaxy and sit in the front seat next to the imposing driver. As for Mary Ann Pesci and Antika Luetsa, Kemper takes advantage of the complicated system of highway interchanges to disorient his passengers before heading south along the coastal highway. When she realizes Kemper's move maneuvers, Akio starts to scream and beg. He takes out a new model of firearm, a 357 Magnum, which he borrowed again from a friend and presses the barrel in the teenager's ribs. Kemper, who is left-handed, drives with his hand and uses the other to threaten Akio with his weapon. He tries to calm her by swearing that he doesn't want to harm her her in fact he explains he wants to kill himself and just looking for someone to talk to fucked up he leaves the highway for a small mountain road and he knows very well and drives on bonnie Dune or dune road near santa cruz he somehow manages to convince her to be tied and gagged i just want a quiet place where i can tie you up then i will go to my place he says he turns off Smith Grade Road, going slowly until he finds a turnoff where he can get away behind a tree, sheltered from the road and any traffic. He shuts off the lights and then the engine, and he shoves the gun back in the front seat. There's a roll of medical tape in my glove compartment. Hand it to me, he says. She complies, handing the small cardboard box. His hands shake as he tries to find the end of the roll. Now who's nervous, she says laughing. He tears off a big chunk and holds it up. My mouth is not that big, she says. So he tears off a part and throws it aside before placing a patch over her mouth. Move your jaws, see it, you can loosen it, he says. Nothing that I did can, did not come unstuck. He presses the tape again to make certain. Hop in the back seat, he instructs. She flips her legs and rolls over the back seat and sits awaiting his next command. He pulls the rest of the tape off his fingers and gets out of the car and walks around to the passenger side. The door is locked. He remembers the gun still under the front seat. She has him locked out that gun with easy reach. He's dead. He begins frantically fishing his pocket for the keys. Damn, where are they? There's a lot here. Hold on. The girl peers out at him through the window, shakes her head knowingly, and reaches up to the unlock the door for him. He smiles weakly and flips the seat back towards or forward and sits in it at a moment. So like she could have easily kept him out or got the gun, but like in a frantic fight, like fight flight mode, she is like, Oh, let him in, let me go. Yeah, I mean She's 15 years old, too, and he's probably a lot older at this point. And very confused on what's happening to her right now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where it gets kind of fucked up. Uh, she starts to resist when Kemper throws himself on her with all his weight, covering her mouth and nose with his hands. Akio struggles with the energy of desperation. She even manages to grab his testicles. But he is too strong. He ends up strangling her before releasing his grip. To his surprise, Akio is not dead and continues to fight this time. He makes sure that she loses consciousness completely. Kemper takes her out of his car to then rape her. It didn't take more than 15 or 20 seconds before I had an orgasm. He strangles her again with a scarf. The body is wrapped in a sheet and then stored in the trunk. Fucked up. 
Further down on Bonnie Dune Road, he spots a small bar where he stops to drink two or three beers before entering the bar. He opens the trunk to examine Akioku. He does it after, again after leaving the bar, both to check that she was really dead and also to savor my triumph, to admire my work and her beauty a little, like a fisherman happy with his catch. So yeah, there's some some of this stuff is like wording from him. Yeah, a lot of this is straight up like quoted by him. Uh, this is by him. First, I try to suffocate Akioku by pinching her nostrils, but she struggles and violently i think i've managed to do it when she regains consciousness and realizes what's going on she panics finally i strangle her with her neck warmer and after the murder i'm exhausted i am hot and very thirsty i stop at the bar for a drink a few beers while the body is still in the trunk of my car i almost got caught by the neighbors when i carried the corpse to my apartment Dismembering the body required a, a meticulous job with a knife and an axe. It took me about four hours of work, slicing limbs, getting rid of the blood, completely washing the bathtub Jesus and the bathroom. Christ. I like her on a Thursday night. The next morning, I call in sick at work. I dismember her body on a Friday night. I get rid of the corpse, keeping the head and hands, which I easily identifiable. Saturday morning, I leave home taking them with me. I'm looking for a safe place to bury them. It's not easy to get rid of these things. This statement is crucial for Kemper. Doesn't even realize what he just said. It's not easy to get rid of these things. He talks about human beings by depersonalizing them for him. And for the vast majority of serial killers, the victim is only an object. He has no remorse killing, maiming, cutting up a woman is normal. Many times I came close to getting caught burying bodies, and if a corpse is discovered, the witness can remember a car parked nearby. Saturday morning, I visit my psychiatrist in Fresno, and in the afternoon, I see the other one Saturday night. I'm with my fiance and her family in Turlock, and Sunday night I return home. After leaving the bar when he quenched his thirst, Kemper visited his mother at her home in Apatos to test himself and enjoy the feeling of power he felt. I talked to her for an uh, hour and a half of things that stuff just to pass the time and to tell her what I had done in San Francisco. I wanted to see if she suspected anything by my facial expressions, involuntarily gestures or words that would have escaped me. She suspected nothing and didn't ask me any questions. When I left, Kemper looked for the third time at Akioku's body in the trunk of the Ford Galaxy. It was around 9.30 p.m. and I knew she was dead. I just wanted to touch her body to see which parts were still warm. I also just out of curiosity. And that's just, there's more. That, you know what I mean? There's more, but that's just, that's fucked. I can't read any more like, of that. There's just some, like, super gruesome details of his crimes. Like, I can't read any more of that. It's so fucking gruesome. It's so bad. It's so, so bad. And it, like, I think almost all of this is, like, in quotation from him. Yeah, 90% of it is literally quoted from him. Like, just the way he describes how he did it, like, it was just, like, a normal day to him. Like, yeah, just, you know, brought it back. I had a tough time reading that. Four hours, sliced a rub. Yep. Fuck. Like reading reading it in my head while I'm trying to read it out loud is just like what the fuck? Like that's insane. That's that is a real person's thought process. It makes me think though of some of it he's making up. Like the getting I, locked out of the car. I don't really? know. It's hard to say, dude. He just it's leave so the gun in the front say. seat. Like I think that's him just making fun. If that was his first abduction, that'd make sense. Okay, I guess he wouldn't get it right the first time. He'd fumble fuck it up because he's big old dumb Ed. I don't know, though. Who does? Probably but a liar. He's he's fucking wild. So, 
Between May 1972 and 1973, Kemper killed eight people. All women. He would pick up female students who were hitchhiking and take them to the isolated areas we just talked about. He would shoot, stab, smother, or strangle them. So he, di he didn't cover one base. He covered them all. He would then take his bodies back to their to his home, like we said, and then do all those despicable things to them. Insane. So he liked to are... cut bodies in the bathtub, sounds like. I just don't understand how people are, like, this fucked up to have that level of, like, yeah, that's fine. I'm going to do that. I'm just going to cut this person's head off. Sorry, what? Like, for real, bruh? How? I, I just... Wonder... <sighs> it just fucks my whole world up. Don't you kind of want to know where like where he starts, though? To go for the arms first, legs first? Oh, like his process of decapitating and yeah. mutilating a body? Don't you kind of... Are you kind of a little bit curious about how he does it? You think you go for the hardest part? Or is that, part? like, way too fucked up? That's fucked up. But so it's like, a good fucked up. He, I would think he would probably start with the hard one, which would be the head. And then the hands, and then the rest is like, all right, I can sloppy, sloppy job. Because it doesn't matter as much. Yeah, he kind of did put a lot more value into the head. You got to do it right. But like an axe and a knife, dude. Like get a chainsaw or something that's... Oh, even quiet, that, dude. Oh, I can't he's, even... Uh. He's probably using like a fillet knife. Oh, my God. The worst part is I'm picturing all knife. this, and I really hate myself for it. Right. <laughs> um, we can talk about Marianne Pesci and Anita Lucesa. On May 7, 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley when he picked up two 18-year-old hitchhiking students from Fresno State University. Mary Ann Pesci, Pes whatever I said before, and Anita Mary Lucesa with the pretense of taking them to Stanford University. After driving for an hour, he managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Almeda, which he was familiar from his work at the highway department without altering his passengers or alerting I'm sorry without alerting his passengers that he had changed directions from where they wanted to go it was there that he had handcuffed Pecci and locked Lucesa in the trunk then he stabbed and strangled Pecci to death subsequently killing Lucesa in a similar manner Kemper later confessed that while handcuffed Pecci he brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and it embarrassed him, adding, he said, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that, after grazing her breast, despite murdering her minutes later. So he's already, he's got this weird complex. Yeah. You can I already have, see it coming. <clears throat> I have his actual words of how everything progressed here. Let's hear him. I took Anita to the trunk just before she got in. She reiterated something Mary said. Please don't do this, something like that, I said. What are you going to start to... What are you going to start into? I don't know what that means. Like, are you going to become a serial killer? Yeah. After murdering, murdering Mary Ann Pesci in the car, Kemper got up in a daze or shock, he said, and headed to the back of the car. I knew I had to do it to the other girl right then because she had heard all the struggle and must have known something very serious was going on, he said. He concealed his hands and erased the trunk lid. Because of the blood on them, Anita said, What's happened with Marianne? Kemper said, Well, she was getting smart with me. And I pulled my hands down kind of unconspicuously and she noticed how bloody they were and she panicked. Her lip was quivering. She was really scared. I was scared. He told her that he thought he had broken Marianne's nose and that she should help Anita in her new heavy coveralls started to get out. While Kemper was talking to her, he picked up another knife from the trunk, a very large blade. It was called the original Buffalo Skinner or something like that. It had been very expensive, about 8 or $9. <laughs> That's literally what he said. Very expensive. Very expensive. He turned to Anita with the original Buffalo Skinner, Skinner and stabbed her as hard as 
she stabbed her heart as she got out of the trunk, but the knife was vexingly failed, even to the perforated her garments. Anita saw what was happening as Kemper stabbed her again and again and again, threw him herself back into the trunk, saying, "Oh God, oh God." She began fighting back. He tried to slash her throat, but in the process stabbed his own hand. A fact he did not realize for all of an hour. He didn't even fail to take account of the fact that he had went to the office of Dr. G. Miller in Apatos for treatment. The wound required three stitches. <laughs> Bumblebutts. Nita tried to cover her throat with her hands. He stabbed her through her fingers. She was he told the investigators, putting up a hell of a fight. He then tried to stab her in the heart. I was thrusting my knife, was going very deep, and it amazed me that she was stabbed three times and she was still going at it. I tried stabbing her in the front again, or towards the throat area, and she was making quite a bit of noise and was trying to fight me off. I stabbed her in the forearms. One was so bad you could see both bones, and she saw it when I hit. I don't think it really hurt so much as it was the shock of everything happening so fast. She looked at it and I could see the expression of her face shocked. He continued stabbing young Anita trying to stab her in the left eye he tried to assemble lawmen. I hate to get into such detail on that Kemper apologized but my memory tends to be rather meticulous finally Anita began screaming very loudly and piercingly her murderer was scared. Her murderer was scared, sorry so he's saying he was scared at this point. <laughs> Fuck off. He said, and unsure of what to do. He had heard voices in the distance, therefore he renewed his attack with great fury. The stab with which he hoped to penetrate her eye socket failed, but he knocked her glasses off. She reacted to each one of these things was completely different, Kempler noted. Where the other girl was just one continuous motion, this girl was actually fighting me, actually succeeding. But she really didn't have a chance. He said that she started dying. She died slow and became semi-conscious or delirious. She was moaning and waving her arms around, fending off an imaginary assault that was no longer there. Every motion of the victim fascinated Kemper, resisting itself on his own, on his mind. Finally, he threw a knife into the trunk of the car and shut the lid. He noticed that she had torn off his wristwatch and that it was stained with blood. That's so fucking gruesome. It gets worse. Do you want it me gets to worse than that? It, listen Murdering to, listen two... To, listen to this. This is what happens How old after. Were they? they look they like were they were 18. little girls. They were 18. This girl looks younger than 18 in this photo, bro. So after he, after he kills them, Told. right, he put both of the women bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by a police officer for having a broken taillight, but the officer did not detect the corpses in his car. He literally had two bodies in his trunk. And a bloody hand. You're not going to ask him about the bloody hand? Kemper's roommates were, or was not, his roommate was not home, so he took the bodies into his apartment where he photographed and had sexual intercourse with their naked corpses. Bumble butt Ed. Before dismembering them. He then put the body parts into plastic bags, which he later abandoned near Loma Prieta Mountain. Before disposing of Pechis and Luecha's severed heads in a ravine, Kemper engaged in... Erumu... Engaged in... I-R-R-U-M-A-T-I-O... Ermucho... With both of them, I'm guessing he like had their severed heads like suck his dick or something is what that's supposed to mean. That's fucked. I think that's what I think that's what they're getting at because I remember hearing about it. I believe in August of that year, Pechi's skull was found on the Loma Prieta mountain. An extensive search failed to turn up the rest of Pechi's remains or trace of Luechas. We already talked about Akioku. Did we talk about Cindy Shaw? Yeah. Yep. Next. Uh, Rosalina Thorpe and Allison Liu. Liu? Yeah, I don't have anything on them, I don't think. 
On February 5th, 1973, after a heated argument with his mother, Kemper left his home in search of possible victims. With heightened suspicions of a serial killer preying on hitchhikers in the Santa Cruz area, students had been advised to accept rides only from cars with university stickers on them. Kemper was able to obtain a sticker. His mother worked at UCSC, so he got around the loophole once again. He encountered 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Throp and 20-year-old Alice Helen Allison Liu on the USC or USSC campus, according to Kemper. Throp entered his car first, reassuring Liu to also enter. He first fatally shot Thorpe and then Liu with his pistol wrapped their bodies in blankets. Kemper again brought his victim back to his, his victims back to his mother's house. The first time he beheaded them in his car and carried the headless corpses into his mother's house to have sexual intercourse with them. <laughs> he then dismembered the bodies, removed the bullets to prevent identification, and discarded their remains. There was more. Um, they were found a week later near Route 1 in March when questioned in an interview as to why he decapitated his victims, he explained the head trip finacities were a bit like a trophy. You know the head is where everything is at. The brain, eyes, mouth. That's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There is a lot left in the girls' bodies without the head. I had nothing to say. It's fucked up, and there's more. We can talk about his mother and Sally, but we did touch that already, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the majority of all of his killings. That's... That we know about. There might be more. Potentially, that's what they think. Um, this is uh, this is also super interesting. Okay, the trial. Kemper was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder on May seventh, nineteen seventy-three. He was assigned the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County, Attorney Jim Jackson, due to Kemper's explicit and detailed confession. His counsel's only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity to the charges. Kemper twice tried to commit suicide in custody. His trial went ahead on October 23, 1973. Three court-appointed psychiatrists found Kemper to be legally sane. One of the psychiatrists, Dr. Joel Fort, investigated his juvenile records and diagnosed that he was once psychotic. Fort also interviewed Kemper, including under the truth serum, which I don't even know is a thing, and relayed the court that Kemper had engaged in cannibalism, alleging that he sliced flesh from legs of victims and cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. <laughs> Alright. Nevertheless, for, of course he was a cannibal too. Of course. Kemper was fully cognizant in each case and stated that Kemper enjoyed the prospect of the infection Fame infamy associated with being labeled a murderer. Kemper later recanted the confessions of cannibalism, so he took those back. But I don't know. Why California did he, say he did it if he didn't do it because he said he did, and then he recanted and said no. Yeah, I that's what I'm saying. But like, why would why would you do that? that why would anybody? Everyone's just gonna look at you and go, "What the fuck?" Why would anybody say anything? And why would anybody fucking not say anything? I don't know. I don't know why he took it back, why he said it in the first place. Who knows? Uh, California used the M. Naughton standard, which held that for a defendant to establish a defense on the ground of insanity, it must be clearly proved that at the time of committing the act, the party accused was laboring under such defect of reason from disease of mind and not to know the nature of the quality of the act he was doing or he did not know it that he did not know he was doing what or that he did not know what he was doing was wrong. Kemper appeared to have known that the nature of his acts was wrong and he had shown signals of malice. Our for out though though 
On November 1st, Kemper took the stand and testified that he killed his victims because he wanted them for myself, like possessions, and attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on the reasoning that his actions could have been committed only by someone who was an aberrant of mind. He said that two beings inhabited his body and that... And that when the killer personality took over, it was kind of like blacking out. It's everybody's fucking go-to when something bad happens. I oh, no, out. dude, I blacked out. I blacked bro. out, dude. I totally drank too much last night, dude. I don't remember what happened, bro. We fight? What, what happened, bro? On November 8th, 1973, the six-man, six-woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty all on all counts. Yeah. <laughs> He asked for the death penalty, requesting death by torture. He requested to be tortured. However, with a... What? Yep. I'm not joking about this stuff. You can't fucking do that. Yes, dude. In his own words, death death by torture. However, with a mortium placed on capital punishment, the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven years of life for each count with these terms to be served concurrently so he was never going to get out regardless so he's currently imprisoned seven times eight eight hundred hopefully live to be eight hundred maybe um yeah there's (laughs) there's just no real way of saying how do you not classify somebody that does this shit or is able to do this as a fucking monster? Like a real life monster. Like He is a real life monster. He fucking raped dead bodies. He attacked women. He did all women, of the things people shouldn't do. Killed his mother and grandparents. Abducted people. The fact that he was engaged to a woman is like terrifying. She's lucky he didn't do it to her. That's Big Ed for you, bro. Big Bumble Butt Ed. That's insane. That's just literally insanity. Could you imagine? Something this fucked up would happen in our day and age. In a town that we lived in. He sounds like a book character. It doesn't sound real. This is a movie. Like, this is a real life movie. Like, this is... Fucked up horror. This is film. the most fucked up horror. He's film. like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But he was the nice one. Like, I. The, what got me turned on to this story was I watched an episode of Mind Hunters on Netflix. Really good show. And it has to do with the FBI agents that worked to, like, profile the serial killers back in the day when they first started doing it. And he. Edmund Kemper was a big reason why they got the information they did to help profile. And one of the guys kind of becomes friends with Edmund Kemper. And holy fucking wild is it. Because it's very, very... How do I want to say this? Accurate to what really happened and how Edmund Kemper would have looked and probably acted. It's pretty cool. Can I read one of his notes? Go right ahead. All right, I'm not going to read this stuff in cursive because I honestly I don't I can't like decipher it. Um, oh, he wrote, okay, so he wrote it in cursive and he wrote it in, like, normal straight in writing, normal I guess. Normal people write. Not sloppy plus incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. Got things to do. A- approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer at the hands of the horrible murderous butcher it was a quick asleep no pain the way I wanted it 9.20am 5.22.73 9.20am he wrote everything twice signed wow there's a second he wrote everything twice there's a little 10 in the corner bro that's just wild to me though like look at the extremes he's going to Yeah, look at this note, bro. This is crazy. Look, he wrote all of it in cursive. He wrote everything in cursive, and then, like, below it, he wrote the same thing in normal handwriting. That is really wild. 
That is actually really wild. What's so, the little tent in the corner's got to be something weird too, I guess. It's probably the tent. It's the only thing that all oh, the tent. No, that makes sense. But dude, that's pretty fucking wild. Like, he he went to these extremes. You know what I mean? Like, he's diligent about it. Like, you don't just write the same note twice. One's handwritten, and not cursive and the other one isn't cursive because you felt like it is because you're like legitimately a meticulous person I'm looking at the note like comparing the the letters they're exactly the same like the same length of sentences on the line they're supposed to be on that's what I noticed some of the letters he does in cursive do look like the letters that are written below because I was just wondering oh maybe it's like Somebody below, did it. Someone copied below no. what it is. He like, did. But no, it's definitely him. It's fucking wild. Like, fucking the wild. S's are the same. All of the S's are identical, whether they're the starting of cursive or the starting of an actual, like, normal handwriting. H's are different, but they have the same hook to them. The same hooky boys. And same thing. They have the same, like, swoops. Eyes are different because they look different in cursive. You're right with that one. L's are different because they look different. But, like, the word, the letters that, when they start at the beginning of cursive writing, that look the same, you yeah. know, because some letters change at lowercase. Yeah. Are, like, they're the same. So, yeah, this definitely has handwriting on both sides there. That's so wild to me, though. This whole this whole story is wild. Like, what do you think? Do you, would, like, out of all the killers and things that we've talked about up until now, does this take the cake for it yet? Or do you think Billy the Butcher? I think the Butcher still... Still pretty fucked up? Yeah, the hunting part. That one still gets me, too. What Ed did was very scary in its own right, because anybody could do He's it. He's definitely second on the list. Though. Anybody could have done it, too. That's that the fucking scary part. On here. Like, I think he's second. I think the Butcher thing, for me, like... Hunting people. The meticulous of his murders and we're all calculated and like it doesn't seem like Kemper was as like calculated because he wasn't as smart obviously he's crazy I mean to an extent like he like, was the butcher very was actually smart. like an intelligent guy and, did like, the butcher get caught or did he turn himself in I think he got girl, caught right yeah the girl yeah. got free yeah yeah with Edmund he gave himself up they weren't gonna catch him no, they probably... I don't know, though. He Maybe. might have slipped up with the body thing, bro. You can only hide bodies Eventually, for so long. Eventually, yeah. I mean, still, regardless of all of it, it's fucking crazy. Like, so crazy. Plus, this is the 70s. Yeah, right. What was like, up with all those serial killers in the 70s, though? Because it was easier. Like, there, more people are on the move. Like Easier? Yeah, it's the police isn't as good. They didn't have as many resources. There's more people moving around, and like, it's cheaper to live. You got a lot more like how they were saying hitchhiking and things like that to get across the. I states. think the problem is there's just as many. There's just more people. What do you mean? More people on the earth now. Yeah. So you think it'd be easier now? Yeah. Maybe, but I mean, technology has advanced so far that, like, I feel like facial recognition and other ways to, like, solve crimes is getting better. How long it takes sometimes to get a missing person's report through? Well, that's because it's not diligence, Tons of people go missing every day. That's true, but, like, also, Who's to say that a percentage of them aren't taken by serial killers? It's true. Well, we'll say this. Like, the way that the police would handle this is if you went missing... Like, say you left tonight, and I didn't know you were leaving, and nobody else knew you were leaving. We would have to wait 72 hours to report you missing because you were an adult. Three days to hide evidence. Three days for the trail to run cold. 
but we would also have to convince them that that's not like well, you. It's two days, but you, but know, like, you get why what would, I mean. To get things rolling in motion. I understand that the police have a very busy job already, but it's at the same time, it's just like, if I report somebody missing, like, it's not, not probably for fun, or like, if it is an adult or somebody that's over the age of, say, 16, and the cops are like, well, you gotta wait, because they could have just ran away and they might come back, but... I just don't like that because you're right. Like, that's that's how trails run cold. That's how you don't catch people. Like, I feel like with the way the technology is nowadays, it should be a lot easier to find these things out quicker. That's why I'm like putting my money in where it's easier back then. Like, I don't know about where all of our listeners live and everything, but like abductions happen around here. And we live Quite in a pretty frequency. small, well, not small, but like mid-sized town. Probably best way to say it. And like, it's. It's not urbanized. It hasn't it's very happened rural. in a little bit, as far as I know. Jessica Herring like, was the recent one, the big yeah, one. Yeah, the Jessica Herring was probably like the, the more like media known one around. Yeah, a hundred percent was. That one was a big deal. Still is pretty much. Did they ever figure out who did that? Yeah. Oh, they did. It was a while ago they figured yeah, he that out. Prison dog. Yeah, I forgot his name, but that's why. But yeah, I mean that's also an interesting one that we could talk about at some point. Which <laughs> anybody that's able to kill somebody is fucking terrifying to me, because that's that's that shows a whole nother level of psychiatric fucked upness that I thought I never would know or ever see or hear about but you hear about this shit a lot what gets me is reading like him telling the story of how it happened and just like nonchalant that it's just like a story to him he's probably getting off on it he like he sounds like the kind of guy who was like I'll keep souvenirs to like smell their hair and jack off with it because like I did that (sighs) Jesus. You're right, though. Like, every vibe of that kind of, like, I have it in my head that I need to be doing this to get my satisfaction. I think we've pretty much covered all we can of Edmund Kemper, though. Without just talking randomly about it. But, yeah, that that is Edmund Kemper. That's not... Like, you know, like, the most deep conversation about the stuff that happened, but, like, the stuff that we covered was the big shit. The scary, spooky, like, ghost in the fucking room shit. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah, and that's, I mean, we've told some fucked up stories and talked about some fucked up stuff. I think this one's by far the worst. This one takes the big fucked up tag. Like, well, we're gonna have to put a warning tag on it. So we don't piss people off, which doesn't happen anyway, because our listeners are pretty, pretty fucking cool. Actually, they're really fucking cool. Yeah. But it's like one of those, like, some random person stumbles upon it, and all of a sudden we're like, rape! (laughs) Like, not good! Stabbing. Necrophilia. With an $8, expensive $8 knife. I don't know how much knives costed back then, but I mean, maybe. $8 knife? What is it inflation now? Like 30. I mean, I've gotten some $8 knives, you know, to like throw in the tackle box or whatever, but like. I usually spend a decent bit on knives when I need a knife. Because I don't want shit. I have nicer ones, too. Bro, his didn't even cut. The $8 knife sucked. You didn't even sharpen it or anything. Careless. Reckless. I'm not telling you how to kill somebody, but you probably want a sharp knife. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. If I'm fighting zombies, am I going to have a dull knife? No, you don't want to just bop them with a dull knife. That sounds fucked up. No, you want a sharp yeah, The zombie knife. apocalypse is coming too, by the way, people. It's coming. Just give it a bit. I've seen it. It's happening. That's such a hard left turn. Yeah, zombies. Zombies are real. It's the only... Because it's okay to kill a zombie. Yeah, that... <laughs> if we start killing zombies, does that make us fucked up for wanting to? You can do kill that? zombies in video games, though. Go play Call of Duty. The dudes play the dudes, my dudes. The dudes, my dudes. I don't know. I was play in other games too. Red Dead Redemption Two. That's a good one. Undead. That was Un- a good, good DLC. Un- with good zombies. Dead boys. 
There's another one too. World War Z was fun. I played that a little bit. That was cool. I didn't play that one. That one was fun. That one is a lot different. Left for Dead if you want to go old school. Takes the cake. I don't... Have I played Left 4 Dead? I think I have. Dude, Left 4 Dead is the shit. It's so cool. Um, Dead Island was good, and so yeah, is Dying Island. Light. I played Dying Light. Scares the hell out of me. Dying Light is re- is pretty realistic. I haven't played the new one yet, though. It's good. It's spooky. I'll tell you that. Like, it may... The graphics being as good as how they are nowadays. I know we're, like, completely off topic here, but, like, how, how good that shit is now it literally felt like you give it 10 years and we're living in that and it could 100% happen granted some of the physics and shit that does happen isn't real you know like you can't really do some of the stuff that happens in there but like the way it looks could 100% be what happens it's like what the fuck that's cool fuck I want this no I don't maybe I do I don't know I don't really want zombies I mean I they can stay in movies and video games. I don't know, dude. In my imagination. It. My wife was probably like, if she, once she hears this, she's going to be like, you're a fucking idiot. But I'll be like, dude, it's so cool. And she'll be like, no, it's not. It's not that cool. It's like how you're like, it can stay. Like, but like, what happens when I have to like, put all of this thoughts, these dreams, this training I do in my head, <laughs> like all that comes to work out. Oh, man. I'll be countless so good planning and preparation for the zombie apocalypse. 100%. And then to finally let out all the frustration. But what if a zomb- zombie Ed Kempler is coming after you? It's a big zombie. Like The Rock. Like, that's a big zombie. <laughs> yeah, The Rock. <laughs> all right, yeah, we're way too off topic. It's probably time to put the fire out tonight. But it's so funny. It <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you can find us on every fucking podcasting platform out there. Yeah. Uh, Google What Goes Bump the Night podcast. You can find most of our links. If you go to What Goes Bump the Night at podbean.com, there is a link tree to everything. The store is on there, correct? Oh, yeah. Yep, so you can find the store for all the merchandise that we have. Some of the cool new designs are going to be coming out soon. Um, If you want to rate, review, like, star, whatever on any of the platforms that you use, that always helps us. If you sticked around this long. You should probably do that. Yeah, we said this was going to be a long episode because there was a lot oh, <laughs> to yeah. cover. And before we go, like, we just want to say thank you for helping Sick. us hit 12,000 downloads, another milestone, another thousand behind us. And we're looking to cruise to another thousand. So That's so much. That's so We much. have decided that next week we're going to do two solo episodes and an individual, like, pairing episode where we're together so two artificial pastas and some other topic we'll decide on later maybe we'll let you vote on it or we'll let you vote on the pastas you guys have been doing a great job with voting so yeah we've been having fun with that but remember folks keep your ears and eyes open before it really goes bump in the night I love you guys bye